You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoop's World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoop's World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy another edition of Swoop's World on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Late night. It is, what is it, Wednesday, October 28th, 2015. Hey, I got a quick show for you tonight. We're going to have Anthony Davis, a USC legend, uh, talking to us the first hour. And then we'll be talking to Bob Case about a lot of things happening in the world of sports also. And he's a vice president of the International Boxing Association, done a lot of things, a personal manager for uh, Casey Stengel and Mickey Rooney. So uh, Bob's been on quite a few times. We have a chance to chat with him. He's always uh, always interesting to talk to, and he's got a good uh, good insight to a lot of different things. So we're going to talk to AD first, see what AD's got to say on what's been happening this week in the world of sports, and let's get on that right now. Let's give him a call. Good evening. I'd like to welcome our good friend and, co- uh, and cohort here, our five-time national champion over at USC in football and baseball, two-time All-American, and uh, the best athlete that ever set foot on campus there, the wonderful Anthony Davis. How you doing, man? Doing okay. Doing okay. We uh, we got a whole lot of stuff to, to, to talk about tonight, and uh, we can uh, we can just jump right in. You, last time you and I spoke, uh, we were coming up on the, uh, the game between the uh, – the Trojans and the Utah Utes, I believe they were called, and uh, the Trojans, uh, you know, stepped it up here in the Coliseum. What'd you What'd you think of that game? Well, you know, last week we talked about the fact that uh, that even though uh, Utah was ranked number three, but the talent that SC had could overwhelm what the Utes had to offer. I mean, I believe, and I believe I was talking about a system versus athletes, and the athletes uh, came out on top. So the bottom line is that that goes to show you what kind of athlete athletes as he has that they are there in a proper system. And I think I think the coach of US the coach of USC was trying to make some subtle changes, which they did. Not big and huge because you can't do it when you're trying to coach a team. And and it and it came through with the great athletes outshine the the discipline and, and um and systematic Utah youth. Yeah. And it's going to show you what could have been uh, if, if it had been a, a decent structure during the course of the year, we, you know, you you've mentioned uh, you mentioned a lot of things about uh, you know systems. Uh, different coaches have different systems. 
and uh, we're, we mentioned the fact that you know you got a coach taking over part way through the year um, and, and trying to establish some things that way. How difficult uh, is it, do you think, for him to come in at, at this time, you know, this far into the season, uh, another couple years into another coach, and, and try to kind of put his stamp on things? Well, it's pretty tough. As you know, some of the kids there have already been through two systems. You went through Lane Kiffin, the kids are telling of that, and then you have the Sark, and now you have a new one. So this this guy is very it's very difficult. I sort of feel for him because to come in mid-season and try to take over some, he's going to try to implement some of his thoughts and his little tricks to the game. He's going to try to do that. It's very tough when you're acclimated to just one system. Right. And you're basically in the second system. So I think under the circumstances, he did a great job. And I just hope that he can continue this run the way he has. And if he does that, I believe that they should keep him as the head coach. And I don't believe right now he could be the benefactor not getting rid of him because they don't need a third coach. We're talking about a third coach in three and two years. Right. Um, that, that, that kills your recruiting because when kids are coming out of high school, they're looking to see how they're going to fit in this guy system if they're being recruited. So I believe that he should stay there because he is changing, he's simplifying it, and, and they should give him a chance to let him formulate his own system around those players. He already knows he has some racehorses out there. Just let him stay. Don't bring anybody else in there. If he doesn't prove out, then you make a change. We are talking about, uh, what is it, five five coaches in the last, uh, you know, four or five years. Um, and and you, you mentioned the fact that, you know, the kids, can't, they've gone through different coaches and, and, and little different systems here and there. And, Kids are getting recruited under one coach and, and, and playing for another coach, and they're playing part season with one coach, and then they had another coach. You know, as an athlete, you know, you, you, you've done this on all levels, uh, and I, I'm sure you've had, you know, things change, uh, you know, at the end of a season to the going into the next season. But as an athlete, uh, this many changes, is it hard to stay focused? You can't stay focused. I mean, you, you can't stay – look, look. The thing I try to tell people, explain to people, is that football is not physical. Football is the academic part of the game, too. I mean, you've got to think, you've got to adjust, and that's what the game of football it is. It's just not all physical. It's a physical and a mental game. When you keep changing systems, that's an academic thing. You've got to learn, you've got to be focused. And you know what? Right, you can't walk to the line of scrimmage thinking, do I do this here? Okay, what did he really mean? And what did he really say? No, it can't be that. And then, and then if you're sitting there on the line and thinking what he's saying, if he goes to an audible, you're really lost. Right. So, so I'm just saying that if you see a defensive front, your terminology changes on how to block that. And then the thing is, you can't just keep changing because everybody's philosophy is different. And if everybody's on the same, that's why I said it, but I always talk about the Patriots because they're fully in sync. Everybody knows their Bible. Well, if, if, you, if you're changing up, and for example, if you, if you, if you put Belichick out of the Patriots at the mid-season, I, I, I bet you, by bottom line, they could they probably could struggle to get the playoffs, but I don't think they would win. They would win in the future. Right. The same thing, that's the same thing with these kids are dealing with. You can't have, what's Essie, what has, uh, four, five coaches in, since the year 2000? Robinson, Carroll, uh, Kiffin. Uh, and now, start and this other just five coaches. Yeah, five o- coaches o- 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 you, you missed Ogeron in there, and uh, yeah, there's 
things uh, that always pops up when you talk about the academics and, and the athletics is our graduation rates. I, I read an article today, um, it's actually a post by a former player, former SC player, Ricky Ellison, and uh, I'm going to get into deep with that with our next guest coming on after you is Bob Case, but uh, he mentions the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, the academic, uh, pros, the academics uh, there have been in question as far as graduation rates um, for the for the football players, and in the fact that you know he in his words, and, and I'm just going to get you to get a, a comment on this. I know you, you don't probably don't get deep into this, but in his words, uh, the culture under the current regime has turned it more into uh, in, an NFL uh, farm system as opposed to. You know, student athletes. Uh, you know, kids go there for the for the education. They stay there. Uh, you know, they want to graduate, and they and they have a you know a love of the campus first and and foremost. And then it says that with the current culture, with all the different changes in coaches and stuff like that, it's more like uh, kids are coming there, get seen, you know, get their highlight reel, and move on. Um, when you talk about you know making academics your first choice when you decide to go to a school. You know, as an alumni, how does how does it feel to to hear something like that? It doesn't sound it, it doesn't sound good at all. I mean, it just seems like it's a football factory. Yeah. If the guys don't make it through the football factory, then you're doomed. Right? No, that, that's the reason why your focus, your first focus is academic, academic, straight out. Yeah. And you hear when you hear stories like that, and you you hear the uh, and you hear and you hear about whatever Ricky Ellison sent us. That, that's pretty disturbing if it's true to that. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure about a lot of that stuff. But if it is going on, that's not real good to hear. Yeah. One of the things uh, uh, that we, we we mentioned last week was was the uh, the standings and the subjective nature of that. You know, Utah was sitting number three last week. Uh, been in the top ten pretty much all year long. Uh, they get that. They were undefeated going in. They lose, and now they drop ten ten spots to thirteen. Uh, I know you're in favor of full-fledged uh, playoffs. Um, I was listening to um, – first, I got to give uh, Colin Hurd props. I think he's a lot better now that he's moved to LA, moved to LA than he was when he was on the other coast. But um, you know, he, he was talking about <laughs> – he was talking about some things uh, similar to what you said. He said, you know, um, you know, football, we, we get all into the standings each week. He said, "You know, some of these guys. You know, this is the only sport where everybody picks picks their own uh, picks their own schedule, who they're going to play against. You know, some teams, 
you know, or have these great records, but they start off the season, you know, against teams that are, are the, they far outclass. Uh, some teams aren't even in conferences. Uh, you know, so do the standings really matter? Well, first of all, you shouldn't have any – it should be based on in conference. I mean, you can put all these other soft teams. I mean, you can go to some soft team and you can lose two and you get in conference, you win them all, then that's all that really counts. It's like the NFL. I mean, you know, if, if you win in your conference, then you go on in the playoffs. Right. If you win in your conference, that's what's going to happen. That's why it should be a full-fledged situation. Like, if you take the Pac-12, if you got the Pac-12 South and the Pac-12 North, I mean, if the Pac-12 South team has two losses and the Pac-12 team up north has no losses, on that given day, if you beat that team the championship, you're the champion. Right. That's where it should be. But see, you know, if you're paying all these, a lot of these guys, you got these independents, you got these guys paying all these soft teams, that's what makes everything a far. And then when you get down mid-season somewhere, you're 6-7-0, and and, and then you get somebody, you get beat by a team like SC that's not even ranked, and they beat you like they're number one team. Come on, that's ridiculous. And then, and then if you're ranked number three, you drop ten spots. Well, I don't think you need to drop ten spots. Right. I mean, because you still, you still six and one or five and whatever it is. I mean, you mean you got to drop ten points? You got to drop ten spots because the, the team beat you that's not even ranked. <laughs> I mean, you like you like Memphis State who beat Ole Miss was thirteen. They dropped the they dropped the twenty three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean. And if Ole Miss can go on the SEC and do something and can win their division and be and, and be and be the uh, be the SEC champion, it won't even make the playoffs. Right. Memphis, That's what Colin Hurd is talking Memphis about. Memphis is seven and zero, and they're ranked sixteen. Uh, Michigan yeah. is five and two, and they're ranked fifteen. Uh, you know, and you got uh, Houston. I, I haven't seen them play, but they're uh, they're eighteen at seven and zero, and Ole Miss is nineteen at six and two. So, you know, we we still have guys. Uh, you still have teams. I think the lowest undefeated teams are at twenty and twenty one. That's Toledo at seven and zero, and twenty one is Temple at seven and zero. So, you know, you got a it's a, it's a unique mix in here. They got some uh, teams with two losses. Uh, in the top 19, in the top 25, uh, yeah, in the top 25, we got a few teams with two losses, um, and like you said, uh, Utah has Utah sitting at six and one, but they dropped ten spots. Okay, so Utah, so Utah's thirteen now. Yes. Okay, if Utah runs the table, there's a possibility they won't even make the playoffs. Right. You see, you see, so so that's the problem. You so when you're dropping these teams. And then they come back, they don't have a chance to get back up close to the top four. Then, then what you have, then you get a committee of athletic directors, which I think that's flawed too, to vote on who you think should be in the top four or the top ten. And that's not right as far as I'm concerned. And so, and like I've said, if you have ten teams, one loss, how do you pick that? That can happen. Right. How do you pick the top four? And what if you had five teams in the top ten who had two losses and the other five had one loss? How do you deal with that? And then in the bottom ten, you got maybe two or three teams that got no loss, that are undefeated. Right. How do you deal with that? Based on who they're playing or their schedule? Well, well that's, that's not right. That's another thing. They're looking at their, they're looking at their overall schedule for the year. Um, and like you said, some of these people, you know, have these great wins – 
early on in the season and playing you know playing teams you know that, that aren't up there at par, but then their their schedule is skewed during the conference. Now, even if you take a, take a team that's gone undefeated and they and they've, and they've won teams in their conference, um, you know they're not, now they're judging the conference. And and you have a you frequently say that you know on any given Saturday, just about anybody can beat somebody. So. It, 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 you know, some conferences are, are deemed stronger than others, right? You got the SEC, the ACC, uh, you know, Pac-12, Big Ten, you know. But then you get, you know, some of these other conferences that people think less of. Um, but these guys are still running the table. And how, where do they where do they fit? Well, they don't look. Look, look. The systematically they don't fit because you know, take for example, Conference USA. They don't they don't think that is a strong conference. Right. The powers that be don't think there's a strong conference. But now, since you got Mississippi State kicking people's rear end like Ole Miss, okay, okay, now how do you deal with that now? Okay, they might have some other the other teams that are not as strong as Mississippi State, maybe not. But the bottom line is that's a conference. you got to recognize the conference. They don't recognize the conference. That's why the system is the way it is, which is flawed. you got eight strong conferences. What you need to do is have the, the with the eight strong conferences. That's what you need to do. You need to seed them up, like I've always said. And Colin, he, he agrees with that, obviously, with, from what you're telling me. Yeah. That's what you need to do. That's what you have to do. Now, if you're going to do that, the people, the BYUs, the Notre Dame, they got to get in the conference. And if, 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 if from a money standpoint, and every, as you know, uh, and, and it's good business for Notre Dame, they make more money than any college team in the country. <laughs> they, got, they have an independent contract with the, uh, with the NBC, and like I've said, when they played in, in the national championship against Alabama, not only did they have NBC contract, but also they got the national championship money, whatever that was, via the the champion the, the Alabama that year. Right. So basically, Alabama won the national championship over Notre Dame, but Notre Dame went home with all the money. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, what, it's what's going to the bank far as I'm concerned. That's how I'm looking at it from a business standpoint. Right. Now, 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 now if you want, like I said, if you want to make it equitable for everybody, you should have a full-fledged national playoff, have all your bowl games, all the second-place teams in the conference playing the bowl games, you seed them up, and that's how you go. That's how I would do it. And all the number ones, seed them up, and then run them through the great, the, the, the best, the best uh, bowls. And, 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 and the revenue sharing is going to be more. You'll get more, you'll get more sponsorship. The Nikes of the world, well, they already got all the schools anyway. So I'm just saying to you, it doesn't make sense. If you want to have a Cinderella league and just say it's going to be the farm system in NFL, well, just so be it. And, and, and don't make up some kind of uh, 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 playoff system that's not fair and equitable to everyone. And you just let the kids know, well, you know, you're going to go to school. If you're good enough, you're going to go to the national football. That's basically what you're saying. Right. It's, it's interesting, and we've mentioned it before. You're talking a situation here where, you know, they, they have playoffs in other sports in, in, in NCAA. I mean, you know, you got we've talked about the, um, you know, the March Madness, and, and I believe they do the same thing, they, they, you know, baseball World Series and, and things like that. Why don't they do this in football? Well, look. You know, here's it is. It doesn't make any sense. You got division, you got the other divisions in in, in, in MC2. They have a playoff system. You don't have a, a a serious playoff system in the division one. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You got March Madness, and they always talk about the Super. Look at that. That goes on for a month. 
I mean, you can't you can't incorporate the playoffs through the bowl system right after the season. You start playing them anyway in December, and let them go all through January. And what comes out of the well, what comes out of all of them is the is the is the, is the, 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 the final show of the national playoff system. That's how it should go. It'll take long with it. It's going to be another week or so. Well, big deal. Yeah, yeah. So 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 I'm saying it's it, it's not an equitable situation. There's a lot of teams. They won't have an opportunity because of the system being flawed. It's like my man Shaquille O'Neal said. He should be a full fence. Go, way to go, Shaq, because I, I agree with you. A lot of people agree with me. And, and for some reason, I don't hear any coaches nationally talking about it's flawed. I don't know why. Maybe they're afraid they're going to turn somebody off. But, you know, you know, you know they wish they had that. Right. There's no coach anywhere that wouldn't want a full-fledged playoff system on any gate day somebody can beat you. That's what sports all about. We're talking with Anthony Davis, the great USC legend, uh, five-time national champion, two-time All-American here on the Swoops World on the Talk Story Radio Network. AD, when when we when we you know be, beyond the playoffs, um, like you said, it would it would it would only extend the thing you know a week or two. Let's talk about some of these bowl games. You know, we, you and I have chatted about this before. There's so many bowl games, uh, and you know, I remember growing up as a kid, there there were. There, there were a lot of ball games, but there were only a few that meant something. You know, there was the orange and the and the, the cotton and the rose bowl, and, and maybe maybe one other. But uh, yeah, there's so many, so many, so many ball games now. You know, you get teams that get draw. You know, they get a draw. They're going to play some ball game, and it, really, they're meaningless. And with with the playoff system, uh, I think that would bring more meaning to 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 a lot of different other, different ball games because you know you're playing yeah. you're playing for you're you're you know. Third, third or fourth place in the na- in the nation, you know the other top two teams are playing in the Big Bowl. But uh, without the playoff system, you don't get any of that. You just get the, the what they call the, the big championship game and a bunch of uh, games that are just there. Yeah, well, the thing is, if you had a full-fledged playoff system, you can have a significant bowl season because it'll, it'll mean something because then, well, man, we got to really fight to get in this really national championship thing with the, with the major eight conferences and then outside the major conferences, if you can you can fill those fill in with these other third place or fourth place teams and feed them up. That makes it more significant because they let them say, "Well, next year we could be in the running for all of that." Right. You see, you you you, you can fill them up, and it will be more significant because the, the the excitement and the markability of all these the, the national the national playoff system, the full fledged playoff system, every all those goals become more significant compared to what it is now. Right. So, like you're saying, it, because, because as it is now, you can put a team in one of these off-brand bowls, as you want to say, and one of those teams, one of those teams, could beat the guys in this so-called playoff run. See, that's see, that's what that's what makes everything flawed. And they would think, you know, so we could play with this guy and play with this team, but 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 it's, but, it's, but it's not like that, right? One, but it should be like that. So so with a full-fledged playoff system. It makes all these insignificant bowl games significant and important and exciting, and, and, and everybody makes even more money. So that's in the day when it comes to money. Well, that's the thing. Uh, and based on based on on your premise, let's just I'm just going to throw one out there. So this this weekend, the Cotton Bowl would be the basically the quarterfinals, and so that would sell out because you got <clears throat> teams in there that are you know might be you know two different bowls, but teams that are there. 
uh, or plan to try to get to the national championship. And last year, I saw bowl games with empty seats in the stands, significant amount of empty seats in the stands. So they're meaningless. But if you if you have the full play, fill edge playoff system, and each each round is is a bowl game somewhere, uh, you would fill up those stands, right? Absolutely, you fill it up. Look, you'll travel better. You, you can advertise better. You can promote better. I mean, all it all it all helps all the way around. Helps all the way around. And then you can get a true after all the bowl season's over, and the national champ. Then you, then you see everybody says, "Well, who's number one? Well, that was the one who wins the championship. Then who's number two? And number three, and so on down. Right. And then you throw all that out the next year, and you go you go back playing again. Nice. And then you can have the rankings of who's what at the end of the year. And to me, that makes it fun. Sounds like you got it figured out, man. I don't know why they're not listening to you, brother. Well. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I might, I might be perceived as a rebel or anti-system, or whatever. Well, I'm gonna be anti-system because I know people that think like me and feel the same way. Yeah. And I, and I, and I guarantee you, most coaches in America feel feel the way I feel. Hey, man, if only I had one more shot at this team, I know we can get them. That's what they think. Well, now, I don't... Let, me, let me think, Tennessee. Don't you, don't you think the USC folks would like to play, get another shot at Stanford? <laughs> and he, and he, and, you know, and it could happen if if SC gets in. If they run the table, they get to know what you thought. That might can happen. Right. That might be another SC Stanford playoff. So, so I'm just saying, you know, you know championship game in the, the South versus the North. But they're gonna need some help. And I know SC people. I talked to several of them last couple weeks. They love to have one more shot at Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Well, you know, here's the, the, the the interesting thing is is uh, when you talk about the fact that the, the NCAA, you know, they're they're a money making thing, and that they don't see the money that could be made by having a playoff system, especially the way you describe it. I, I don't I don't get it, man. I just don't get it. Well, first of all, well, well, first of all, they need to get it. Somebody need to put on their thinking cap. The people need to go think of the, talk to the Phil Knights of the world and all these big corporations and, and, and present it to them. And let me tell you something. They won't turn it down. They would endorse it. Right. And, when, when I, and if I were people, I would start with Nike. Because Nike wants a full fledged playoff system. Yeah. Well, I think I think most people do. And I think, I think, um, I think most of the fans do. And you're right about coaches. Coaches... Coaches want stuff to be decisive. They don't. They don't want to. You know, they don't want to be lingering on hey, years from now yeah, saying, well, "We could have. We should have played in that. We should have been there." That type of thing. Coaches don't want some committee of guys sitting around in a room saying, "Well, I think we're going to put this guy at number four. We're going to put this guy at number three. And oh, number two really didn't didn't really play strong enough. But but they're, they're more worthy than this guy. I keep him at number two, and then I'm going to have this other team at number one. That's basically what's going to come down to. Right. That's what it's going to come down to. That's exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, if you take the mentality of, 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 of you know, athletes and coaches and whatnot, it, 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 I heard somebody being uh, interviewed uh, about a year or so ago, and they were, they were talking about uh, some somebody they played in a bowl game years and years ago, and, you know, years down the road, there was some kind of disqualif- disqualification, well, which means the team that won the bowl game technically didn't win it, and they gave the win to the team that lost. And the guy says, you know, when we all get together and we're all sitting around talking, having dinner, drinking beers, 
I look across at the guy and go, but we still kicked your ass. I mean, <laughs> but you know, whether whether they changed it on paper or not, we know who who won on on the field that night. And and I think it's the same way with with the, these kind of standing things and these uh, without the playoff, you're always questioning. You know, you're always saying. You know, we we could have beat you. Looked at the season we had, but there's no proof because you never it didn't get played that way. At least these guys played the game, and you're talking about oh, you had an ineligible player, so you were disqualified. Well, we won regardless. You know, that type of thing. So I think that's what you get when you don't have um, when you don't have everything detailed out and and actually played on the field and the and, and the decision being made by the by the final score. When you you have people just kind of saying like you saying this guy sitting over here putting well we're going to put you against this guy and this team against that team and that's our top four so yeah right for example this is and I, this is Mark Moore is not saying it right here let's follow Memphis State this for that's going to be our example team if Memphis State goes undefeated undefeated and never cracks the top ten the system's flawed yeah they're sitting at sixteen okay, now. I Undefeated, out of the top ten, and you got ten teams that got one loss. Hello, what's wrong with that picture? <laughs> right I mean, now, beat them. right now we have. Right now we have. Oh, one, then, then what if you have? What if you have? Out of the top fifteen, you might have ten teams that got one loss, or twelve teams that got one loss. Right. And your committee perceives that these, they got to decide who's going to be in the top four. Now, I guarantee you, Alabama should be in the top four. In the top four, they can be on any given day. They can be anybody in the top four. Let me tell you the top. Let me tell you the top six right now. You got Ohio State number one, Baylor number two, Clemson three, LSU four, TCU five, and Michigan State six. They're all undefeated. Yeah. That could change. That, that could change next week. Yeah. So just take. Where's Alabama now? Alabama is seven with one loss. Stanford is eight. Notre Dame is nine, and Iowa, undefeated, is at ten. Okay. You can see right now what's going. Okay. Let's just say if uh, in the top the top six you name, if you get three losses. And I was at ten, in ten undefeated. Where does Iowa go from there? And they win. Where do they go? Did they jump in the top five? Good question. Okay, where are those three to get logged? Get Where do they go? Do they go out of the top ten? So you know they. So basically, the pattern is: if you lose, you if you lose, you drop in ten spots. Right. <laughs> Who came up with that? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make any sense either. If you don't drop a couple of spots or one spot, they get, you got to go 10. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, here's I mean, it, it, you saw it went from 3 to 13. Yeah, and they lost to a team that on paper was ranked to be uh, close to number one in the nation prior to the, at the beginning of the season. So, you know, SC's had, does you know, we're not going to sugarcoat it. SC's had some tough times this year, but still – the same the same personnel is there that was on there the day they the day they uh, you know kicked off the ball the first game. So the fact that uh, they beat uh, Utah and Utah dropped ten spots is really remarkable. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But it, it's 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 like a it's like a pogo stick 
consistent. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. One week this happens. One week that happens. It doesn't matter. If, 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 it was, if it was the right system, you wouldn't worry about whatever. Okay, this team got this. They're in this conference. Who's going to win out in the conference? Now, that's what it should be. Who's going to be in the playoffs, number one, in their conference? Who's going to be the winner of the Pac-10? Who, I mean, the, the Big Ten. Who's going to be the winner of the, Pac, the Pac-12? Who's going to be the winner of the SEC? Who's going to be the winner of the ACC? Who's going to be a winner of the American Conference? That's what they should be thinking about. Right. And, you, and, and then, you, then you eliminate all these committees and all this crap, and you'll know, and then all you do is see, then you have the committee just to seed up the number one based on strength and based on what they You can do it that way. But, you know, it basically should be who won the conference, the given conference, and who they're going to match up in the conferences. And how, how, how it's going to travel, how it's going to be from a marketing standpoint. That can all be done. What else is interesting, AD, is, is with the looks of this, <clears throat> you could perceivably have two teams from the same conference playing in a national championship game. See, that's another flaw, too. Yeah. That's another flaw. I mean, you can, have, you can have two teams from the same conference playing in the playoffs. Right. Because <laughs> in, in the top ten right now, you have, uh, let's see, Big Ten, Big Ten. So you have two, two in the Big Ten. No, three, three in the Big Ten, uh, and you have a couple out of Big Twelve, and uh, let's see, a couple of SEC teams. Yeah. So you have Ohio State, Big Ten. You got Baylor, Big Twelve, Clemson, ACC, LSU, SEC. TCU Big Twelve, that's two right there in the Big Twelve. Michigan State Big Ten, that's two Big Ten. Alabama SEC and uh, Stanford Pac Twelve, Notre Dame, but that doesn't matter. And Iowa Big Ten, so that's three in the Big Ten. Uh, in the top, in the top ten. It just, it, it just like you and you're saying, just like, you can conceivably have Michigan State and Ohio State play the national championship. Right. And remember this. This we're talking about money. Look at all the money where it goes. It all goes to the Big You see, so that can happen. Right. Look at all those crazy scenarios. That can happen. And what? And what if you had? What if you had two SEC teams with two, one loss, and two Big Ten teams with two losses, and they're ranked in, and they're one, two, three, and four. And you can have. Two teams playing in the SEC for the national championship. Right. So what if you had LSU at one and had Alabama at two at the final of the year? They're playing for the national champion. Yeah. The same time. Right. That's right. flawed. And, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, and that can conceivably happen. Yeah, they they could both they could both easily end up with uh, seven and one records each. Or what right. I mean, not seven and one, but they go with one loss apiece, you know. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So, and, be, and as it is, some people thinking there's some two loss teams that are better than some of the undefeated teams. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You're always going to get that, but you know, those those are just that's all subjective until until you have a playoff to de- to determine that, you know. Right. Let's switch gears real quick. Uh, this is uh, we're going to transition into the NFL. I want to start with this show uh, that I watch on. Uh, an NFL network called Undrafted, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, AD, but it it follows a, a handful of guys who uh, didn't get drafted, uh, and then they went to the uh, 
you know, they got someone got invited to an, a, a special combine, and, and some of those did well there. And then they've got, uh, you know, they got invited to like a three-day tryout for certain teams, and some of those guys make the roster, you know, which might be a practice squad. You know, and now they're leading into. I've been watching it. Now they're leading into the guys uh, that who didn't make, who did get that far playing in the, in the, some preseason games. That whole process. Now you talk about, you know, how the chances of that. But the guy who made the the big time interception in the Super Bowl last year for the Patriots went undrafted. He went this route. Uh, you know, there's there's a there's there's a handful of guys, more than a handful of guys in the NFL that went this route. You've always said there are guys walking the streets that have the talent to make it in this league. Um, this going this route uh, appears to be fairly stressful on a kid, but it doesn't count him out, does it? No, it doesn't count him out. And the sad thing is, like I've said, as the game has progressed over the years, there's more and more talent. There's more and more talent coming out of the college ranks. There's more and more talent created that, that, are, that are everywhere that can play in the league. That's the myth of, well, these are the best. Well, that's not true. you got guys walking the street. you got guys in Canada that can play in the national Pete Carroll proved that. They do it every day. Kids come off the practice squad. Right. And a lot of guys get breaks because somebody gets hurt. Look at that kid the pages. If his didn't go one way, if his break wouldn't go one certain way, he, he doesn't make the catch of the Super Bowl. Right. That's what kind of talent is walking around. And, and, what, and what I want to say to these clowns that are screwing up in the National Football getting in trouble, say, let me tell you whoever's listening to this, let me tell you something. There's always somebody ready to take your spot. Don't think you all world. Because you might not, the next guy might not be as good as you, but he'll be good enough, and you'll be out of a job. There's only so many jobs out there, and that's why it's so difficult to get in the game. Right. And I can tell you, a lot of kids that can play in the league that's never going to get a shot to play because there's so many of them. There's only so many spots that can fill the spot. That is it. That's the reason why if you go to a school, you got to develop, you got to do well to get your serious shot. That's it, period. Because if you don't, it's not going to happen. And it's, pro- it's proven every year. That kid from New England, just like you said, the kid from New England, look at the route he had to go to. That kid's all pro. Yeah. They you got all pros walking the street. They put, a lot of, they put a lot of emphasis, regardless of position, they put a lot of emphasis on that 40 time. How important is it to, to be able to, 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 to run that 40, you know, in, in a certain time? I know with receivers, they were looking for four, five, and below. You know, some linemen, they were looking for a certain but, – but the 40 seems to be the, the, the measure. Why is the 40 the measure? Well, they, they, they got to put some criteria to get a guy in the league. If a guy, run, if a guy can run 4-3, 4-2, and you got a guy can run a 4-5, but, but, but he's, he's more skilled, they're going to take the guy at 4-5. If he can do everything in that position, more than that guy with 4-3, 4-2, they rather really take the guy at 4-5 and do everything in that, that skilled position. That, they they got to put a they got to put a criteria on how to get a guy in the league. If a guy's going, if a guy runs a four two, they're going to try to figure out how to train him and get him right. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't have the skill level, and he can run a four two, and he but he can't do the stuff at the position, he's not going to be in the league. I don't care if he's six foot eight, three hundred pounds running a four two. <laughs> if he can't block that in coming around, he's not going to be in the league. I think that's kind of kind of the problem that, uh, if I remember correctly, Ronaldo Nehemiah had. I mean, the guy was blazing fast, but he he, didn't, he dropped a lot of balls, so he didn't stay in the league too long. Well, I mean, it's, 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 he just never, you know, somebody didn't really work with him. You know, with that kind of speed, I mean, just like I just said, I mean, you can have all that speed. Like, for example, the great John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Right. 
Those guys couldn't do it because because they, they, they couldn't catch the ball. Right. They couldn't run routes. They didn't know how to adjust their speed and run on the route. They just knew how to just take off. But when they took off, they ran by everyone. But the fact is, can you come out of your break? Can you make? Can you run those certain routes? Can you catch that ball? Can you catch it straight on? Can you catch it up in the loop going in stride? See, that's the thing. He had all the freedom. He can outrun anybody in the league. And that's the reason why Bob Hayes was so phenomenal. Won the gold medal in the Olympics in 64. Came with the Dallas Cowboys. And to this day, they're still the fastest receiver to ever play the game. And I don't know anybody else much faster. If you talk about, and then you got guys like Cliff Branch and people like that can run like that. But the bottom line is, he's the one that made the adjustment from a track man to the pros. To the pros, yeah. Like that. You know, it's interesting. So, Go ahead. So, so when you talk about guys, you talk about the combine tomorrow, they have to go by some criteria, some structure for you to get in the league. Just because you run four four, you got to be able to be able to do it within that, in that, uh, in that company. See, like when Chris Johnson came out of of uh, Eastern Carolina, run a four two flat or something like that, they had to figure out, hey man, this kid can fly. So I mean, he he had the talent. But I don't know if he was fundamentally sound as a runner, but they figured it out because he did well in Tennessee. Because they had no clue that man could run that fast. <laughs> he shot every box. He shot there. And to this day, I still think he can play. But, you know, if he's in the right system, he could. See, if I was somebody with Chris, with a Chris Johnson with that kind of speed, I put a 250-pound uh, fullback in front of him and let him just knock people down. That's what I would do. Yeah. And then you give him the first two sets. You give him the first two sets, he's gone. But he never did that. See, that's how I would structure something. So, so when, you're, when you're analyzing people in the combine and watch them, you got to see how in and how you develop that person. But some kids don't say, well, I'm bringing him in. Right. Well, if I'm he's the other guy ran a four or five, but he can do all the, the, the things I can do within that position. I don't know if I would remember, but I think take my shot with the four two guy. Well, now a Belichick would take the four five guy. Well, that's that's kind of the point I was going to make. Uh, you know, I mentioned to you that I was I was we, we talked about a guy, but before the show, like Tom Brady, can't run, no mobility, awkward. Looks like he's going to fall off when he runs and stuff. But the fact is, Belichick saw that arm, saw his strength, saw his smarts. They built some around him. That that's why Belichick say whatever he wants. Is a genius. Let's look at it. Six Super Bowls, four championships. Tom Brady. When it comes, so, so I'm just saying it all depends who gets you, well, how they evaluating you. Because each team has their own way of evaluating players. And as it is how it stands today, New England Patriots has had the best scouting and the best evaluating the players there are. Like I just said, Belichick would take the four-five guy over the four-two guy that's not skilled in that in that, in that position. Not to say you can't develop it, but with the way NFL is structured now, you got to be ready to play right or not right now. The way with the way free agents move and money and everything else. Like it was 25, 30 years ago, you just take the best app and you try to do them, develop in the best way you can. Well, they don't do that now. you got to be ready to go now. Right. The, uh, you know, the NFL, you know, this week coming up, you know, you, see, you still have a few under 50 teams. Uh, you, you know, some of, the, some of those guys are still the, kind of been a surprise. They're still out, still out there winning games. Uh, any any big games, any big teams that have been impressing you the last few weeks? Uh, you know, the Raiders looked like they uh, 
finally came to life against, uh, you know, usually Chargers are pretty decent this year, um, some games. Um, but uh, anybody surprising you lately? Or are you expecting to see more from? Well, my, my organization is the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, they got a win-loss, but I mean, what they're trying to do, they got a run-power game, and, and I sort of give this credit to Richie McKay down there. Uh, I, I think he's been uh, talking to his father to say, hey, we're going to run it the way you used to do it, Pop. And I just believe you know, New England, New England, New England, and and uh, New England and Atlanta is the two teams that, that that I'm impressed with because the Patriots always been steady. Whatever, whatever you want to say about them, and then I like the way the the Falcons are doing. And then outside of that, uh, I like what uh, the Panthers are doing with Cam Newton. I do like that. He seems to be coming out of his own this year. It looks like uh, you, you... well. Well, well, well. The thing is, well, the thing is, I mean, they're, they're putting the pieces around him. I mean, you can be, you can be the greatest player in the world. But if you don't have the pieces around you playing football, I don't care how good you are. You know, you're going to stumble, and you know, you can get away with that somewhat in college, but in, in the pro level, you got you have to have. Uh, and even though they had good pieces around him in, in, at Auburn, but in the pro level, you definitely got to have your pieces. You have to, and the, and the Panthers are finally doing that because you got contractual stuff. You got this. You got that. And now they're in sync. And let's see how far they can go. But those are my three teams. Yeah. Real quick, uh, a couple a couple of guys that the people have been talking about lately and uh, whether or not, uh, whether or not uh, you know, things are happening, uh, are they losing their skills or, or is it the team around them and stuff like that. Uh, we mentioned uh, Kaepernick before. Uh, you start, and, you know, there's, there's questions about, his game these days. Uh, your questions about Manning, uh, um, uh, Manning over in Denver. Uh, you know they're undefeated. They seem to they seem to find a way to win. Uh, he seems to come to life uh, at the right moment. But uh, you know he's been in the game a long time. He's had a lot of a lot of injuries, a lot of uh, operations. Let's talk about those well, two guys real quick before we wrap things up. Well, Kaepernick and man, here, here here's the issue. Kaepernick's situation straight out system. New coach, new system, new terminology. Retirement of different players. That's and if anybody thinks it's Kaepernick, they got they're smoking something. It ain't him. He's the same player. He doesn't have different people. He has a new coach, new terminology. I'm gonna say it again: new system. Everybody has acclimated to a new system. Right. Everybody was under the Jim Harbaugh system. Now you're dealing with this. See, when you change coaches, you better be sure. You better know what you're doing. You okay? And, and on to Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's up in age. He's had four neck surgeries. He's had problems filling his in his fingertips. And basically, I think what's happening now with with, with the Denver Broncos special offense is now he's become a, a, a field manager. And you know, and they got a good enough talent running where they can be undefeated. How long they go, who knows? When it starts getting cold, we'll see how well Manning stands up. You got to remember, the man's almost forty years old. So I understand, uh, and he's never been known for mobility. So basically, he's got to know his spot and know what, and they, they got to be able to manage how they operate the, the offense. Because he's not going to be scrambling. He got to handle that ball off, and he and he does a lot of timing stuff, as you know. If that receiver is supposed to be there, that ball is coming right there. Right. Well, see, Kaepernick, you know, he's a great athlete, big, strong, mobile, but he it's, but he doesn't have the pieces around him like Manning does. Now, if Manning was in San Francisco, oh man, I'd hate to see that. <laughs> but, 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 that, but that's a care comparison of those two, right? He doesn't have the pieces. Manning has the pieces, but Man, but Manning, in my opinion, is managing 
the way the game is played under the, the, the Broncos system. Kaepernick, he's still he's learning a new a new feat with new players. Yeah. When you lose when you lose a, a guy who's like you know I'm not a, I wasn't a huge Harbaugh fan, but he'd been there a long time. He he proved himself. He. He uh, created a winning situation for that team, and then, uh, as you say, lots of times, you know, it starts at the head, head office. Apparently, there were some uh, some issues there between the two, but uh, you know, players players uh, gel with certain coaches, and they, and they and they do well with certain coaches. And it seemed like uh, you know he was doing real well under uh, under Harbaugh for a number of years, as opposed to uh, with the with the new coaches now. So, you know, that change does a lot to a kid, right? You got to remember. They went to the Super Bowl. They were one. They were a couple of players and winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. That should all that should all tell you right there. They were in the Super Bowl two or three years ago. So that's not that's not but that, and Kaepernick was the quarterback. Yeah. So so that should tell people that it's not Kaepernick. It's not him at all. Matter of fact, he's coming into his own, frankly. But when he was coming into his own, they changed coaching. If you change coaching changes everything. Yeah. That's like that's like that's like you going to a new girlfriend. <laughs> you, know I mean. you gotta learn. You gotta learn it all over again. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Ad, let's talk about the book real quick, brother. Yes, sir. Uh, kickoff concussion: How the Notre Dame game, Notre Dame killer, re- recovered his brain. Uh, your your book. Uh, Talk, tells your story of what, what went on and, and how things uh, how things uh, this, this this game this the game that we love uh, you know has comes with some problems and, and what you have to do to uh, to, re, to recover yourself and, and take care of yourself you uh, you teamed up with Doctor uh, Doctor Amen uh, you, you get the movie coming out with Will Smith with Doctor Benedict Amalo but tell people a little bit about what they can expect if they if they if they pick up the book and what they're going to learn about. Well, first of all, they're going to learn about my experience and how it happened, how I got to the point where I met Dr. Amen and how I got my brain scanned because it's a guy by the name of Don Bockel, used to be a, a, a pharmacist at Cedar Sinai, told me, he says, look, have you ever had your brain scanned? I said, I don't need it. He said, well, I think you need to do that. So you need to meet a guy by the name of Dr. Daniel Amen. So he arranged the fact that I met him, and he says, I'd like to scan your brain. He scanned it, found some damage there. I said, I said well, what did you find? He said, first of all, you had a concussion that you didn't know you had. And number one, we diagnosed your brain as a, a man, of, a brain of an 85-year-old man. I said, you need to rehab your brain. If not, you're headed for pre-Alzheimer's. That was a diagnosis, and that woke me up wow. big time. And then after, after I was with him, I started having a little bit of memory problems. I said, wait a minute. I, you know, I, walk out of, I walk out of my place, and I locked the door, went back. And then one day I went out, when it was a mile away, I locked the door. I said, wait a minute something's wrong here. And so, I mean, I contacted Doc. He said, well, that's what I was talking about. So, and I was, I've been on this program since 2007. And that's how the book came about. He wrote the Ford. And then the movie came about with Will Smith and Sony. And uh, that's what it's about. And, 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 and I've been preaching this the same way. Football's a great game, but it's also a danger game. And I just want to make people aware that if you play the game, there's consequences. It's a great game, but there's a lot of consequences go with it. And as it is, youth football is in trouble. I think they've had uh, 10 to 13 kids die this year from head trauma collisions. So, I mean, it's a, it's a serious thing. And I know the NFL is going to be uh, a little nervous about 
a little maybe a little uptight about the movie coming out, but it is what it is. And and Dr. Amalo discovered this uh, ETC enzyme, and it's really it's really uh, a serious issue that they have to tackle and address. And uh, and out of 115 former NFL players, I was the first guy to get his brain scanned by by Amen, and I started the program. Wow. He calls me the the father of his study. And so one thing did another, and that's here I am today. Excellent. And I did this book. And matter of fact, let everybody know, I'm going to be at a place called Frankenstein's on the 7th of November, autographing my book and signing photos and stuff. So, what, ci- what, city, what, ci- what city is that in, A.D.? I think it's in the city of industry. I'm not really sure. It's called Frankenstein. And uh, that's where I'll be on the 7th, you know, signing the book. We'll, and, we'll look it up and tweet it out, man. AD, as always, thanks a lot, brother. Great talking to you and great uh, figuring out how what we need to do to make this NCAA football, uh, you know, the class act that it should be and, and get this playoff system in, in gear. That's probably why I've done the AT&T playoff commercial. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, man. Anthony Davis, everybody. We will uh, we're, we'll be talking to uh, Bob Case here in just a few minutes. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Swoops Road on the Talk Story Radio Network. This is What is a Saint by Michelle Mangione. Back after this.
watch it go Michelle Mangione, what is a saint? You're listening to Swoops Road on the Talk Story Radio Network. We just had Anthony Davis on, and uh, we're going to be talking to Bob Case here in just a minute. But, uh, you know, with all that talk about uh, brain health, uh, uh, Anthony was talking about, I just want to let you know if you're interested. Uh, Dr. Bill Sears uh, will be uh, speaking on brain health for all ages on uh, Tuesday, November 3rd, here in the Southern California area. He'll be covering uh, ADD, ADHD, autism, PTSD, depression, anxiety. 
Preventing Alzheimer and Degenerative Brain Diseases. Uh, if you're interested in uh, attending that and want to go as my guest, just send me an email at swoopsworld at gmail.com or go to our contact page and send me an email and we'll get to that. I'll repeat this in a minute. And at this time, we'd like to welcome our good friend to the show, Bob Case. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing great, Keith. How about you, buddy? Doing awesome, man. And uh, and we got plenty to talk to you about tonight. Uh, we just had the great Anthony Davis on the show uh, right best. before you. And, uh, yeah, well, wonderful guy. Had a lot to talk about. And oh, good. We're going to start things off, uh, Bob, uh, on a kind of a kind of a, a sad note. But uh, I, we want to talk about the fact that uh, you were good friends with Dean Chance. And we lost Dean recently. And, you know, there's a lot of, lot of history between Dean, Dean Chance. He played for the Angels. At the time, in 1964, he was the youngest pitcher ever to win the Cy Young Award. I know you have a lot to, to say about Dean and a dear friend. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about Dean and, and, and what he meant to you and what he meant to the world. Well, um, Keith, I can just tell you this, that I don't think, you know, Dean had his inner circle of friends, and, you know, he was loyal uh, to his friends, I mean, to the to the tenth degree. And I've always said that Dean Chance, is for a guy that, you know, just graduated from high school, had more street smarts than anybody I ever knew in my life. You know, he, he used to do Bobolinsky's contracts when the two of them were running around together. He would negotiate them and do all this stuff because he, he, he understood people. He realized people. And if you look at the people he's dealt with in his life, from Gene Autry to, to uh, you know, all the major five families in New York, to Don King, to Bob Arum, to, you know, I mean, this guy, believe me, dealt with everybody that you could think of. And, and, um, did a great job, and he, and he was a loyal friend. And you know, I'm still kind of in a de- depression. You know, he died on uh, October 11th, and uh, I talked to him on Friday night. Yeah, he died. I found out Sunday morning he died Saturday, but Friday night he was going to a high school basketball game back in Ohio with his friends, and, um, and I, I went down to Malibu to see some friends at nine o'clock in the morning on Sunday, and I came back, and my my phone was just jacked up, you know, with all these 330 Ohio phone numbers, and I knew something was wrong. And yeah. They told me the news, and I was just shocked, because I had uh, seen him on, uh, I think you knew Keith, they inducted him in the Angels Hall of Fame on, uh, it was on August 22nd, and so I saw him, like, on the 20th, 20, no, the 20th, the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, so you know, I was down there for the three days, and we had a great time. You know, yeah. I just am so grateful for the memories we had down there, and it meant a lot to Dean. They gave him this beautiful Hall of Fame ring. Artie Marino, the angel owner, gave it to him, and he gave it to his son, his son Brett. And it was nice to see Brett get it. And his family was there, and his friends, and old ball players, and it was just a great evening. You know, it was a lot of old teammates, and Bobby Knopp and Eli Gerba, who won the first game in the history of the Angels, was there, and. You know, it was great, you know, and it was just, it was a great, great time with all of his A-list friends, and, you know, I'm just going to miss the guy. He called, you know, he had a great sense of humor, he was always kidding around and joking. He'd call me three or four times a day, and, you know, I've known him since 1962. Wow. I met him when I was 17 years old, you know, yeah. so it's like, you know, just a great guy, and uh, he's the one that got me actually into the boxing business, you know. I was in the baseball world until Dean talked me into going to boxing, and I've been involved with him for about 25 years. You, you know, you mentioned the the induction into the into the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I talked to you shortly after that, and you you talked about what a great event it was, uh, what a class act 
the Angel organization was and the way they put it on. Uh, I had the pleasure of, of, of seeing the uh, the speech that uh, Dean gave uh, on, as, as a participant in that, and, and he actually mentions you in, in, in his speech. Um, you know, you like you said, that was the last time you guys got to spend time together, but I mean, that, that has to be real memorable, uh, especially now. I mean, you were already saying what a great experience it was, uh, but knowing that now, you know, that it was the, the last time you spent significant time with them, uh, what a great uh, opportunity that was and, and a great event to be around for that, huh? It was, you know, Keith, it was unbelievable. I mean, little did I know. It's like we we don't know from day to day what's going to go on. You know, little did I, Dean was as healthy and happy and joking around and kidding. He was up in his hotel and he signed a whole bunch of these books, these angel books for some author. And, uh, you know, I mean, somebody pointed out to me today, which I hadn't seen, he's on the IBA website at his induction ceremonies with his dear friend Kristen Jamin, this cute little blonde that Dean's known for years. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of the two of them sitting there it is induction and if you had told me that he looks like he'd be dead in a month you understand what i'm saying yeah. you you can't believe it right. you can't believe it he was healthy you saw his speech yeah. i mean i mean he was joking around and kidding and you know all of his friends you know he was kidding around with this girl tristan he was joking with her and kidding with her and all of his other friends the, the author that wrote the book that once they were angels he was joking with him and had all his teammates around and laughing and kidding and bill stolman the Vice President Angels came up and you know sat with us for a long time. It was just a it was a wonderful you know that's the great thing. I have that memory will be with me until I take my last breath. You know yeah. what I mean? It was just a wonderful weekend, and I know how much it meant to him. And his son told me how much it meant to him to you know have every all his close friends around him. And you know it was just and the Angels were a first class all the way. I gotta thank Tim Mead, their general manager, and. Vice President of Operations and the way they handled everything was just first class. And um, you know, I thought I always thought he should have been in that Hall of Fame 25 years ago. But what's the saying? Better late than never. (laughs) That's true. Well, uh, you know, Bob. uh, But thank you for asking about him because you know it it, it kind of makes me feel good just talking about him. You know what I mean? Just just I talked to this Bruce Trampler today, the matchmaker at Top Rank, and we were telling stories and. And he said, if, if Dean were here, and he said, yeah, Bob's in a depression about about you, and he'd, he'd, he'd just go, what the fuck? What do you mean a depression about me? Yeah, I tell him to get over that shit. You know? that, that, that's, that's, that's how Dean was. You know, this yeah. is the way he was. You know, so it's like, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, it just makes you appreciate, like I appreciate talking to you now, Keith. Does that make sense? Yeah. In other words, it's it just honor every moment we have on this earth, you know, with with your friends and people you like and you know and it's just and that's the one thing I took from him is the loyalty he had to his friends you know loyalty you know I mean I used to say if you were going to do a bank job you'd want him to be your accomplice you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> he, he was just a loyal loyal guy knew where all the bodies were buried would never say anything and uh, and he had some of the funniest sayings ever one time he I got to tell you this few few quick stories Todd DeBuff is the vice president of top rank he's Bob Aaron's stepson and Dean didn't really care for him. So a reporter asked him one time, what do you think of Todd DeBuff? And the only reason he was the vice president of top rank because Bob Arum, the president, was married to his mother. Uh-huh. So Dean said, yeah. He said, that guy woke up on third base one day and he's dumb enough to think he had a triple. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's one of the things he said. And then, then this, this Rob Goldman that wrote the book Once They Were Angels, 
Dean uh, reporter, he asked me one time, he says, yeah, Bob, does this Goldman have any dough? And I said, no, Dina's brother-in-law clipped him for a half a million. He goes, yeah, Bob, every sucker's got a story. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way he was. I mean, he, was just a, he was just a character, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, one, one day we're up in Vegas before a De La Hoya fight, and we're rooming together up there in the hotel. It's like 6 in the morning, all these green flies are calling for tickets, you know what I mean? The phone's ringing off the hook. It's 6 in the morning. He goes, yeah, Bob. We're out of the fucking ticket business. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of character he was. You know, he was just a character. You know, there, there's an era. You know, I, I've, I've had the, the great pleasure of talking to you many, many a time. But uh, on the air here, we've talked about the era uh, of baseball, old baseball. And, you know, there's a similarity to the stories you tell, the guys who played back in that era. They all seem to have a great sense of humor. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look who we've talked about the last few times. We talked about Ernie Banks. We talked about Yogi Berra. Now we're talking about Dean Chance, who's my best friend. You know? So it's like, and the, the, here's the last thing I want to say about him, which is shocking. You can read his obituaries. He, now think about this. He, in 1958, he graduated from high school in Ohio. He still holds every Ohio record for baseball. Wow. And he was a great bat. He, he pitched 17 no hitters in high school and eight his senior year. He had a 53 and one record as a high school pitcher. Jeez. So, uh, and that's only in three years of high school. You know, so I mean, you, you look at what this guy. And I, I used to ask him, you, you, "Yeah, Bob, the competition wasn't much at all." You know, but that, that's how humble he was. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, the guy was off the charts. You know what I mean? And if he hadn't hurt his arm, he'd be in Cooperstown. You know what I mean? Because wow. he, he was. He had a great career, even though he was done at 30, you know? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he played, what, 10 years? This, yeah, ten, uh, ten, I think 11 years of sporting news voted in the pitcher of the, the right-handed pitcher of the decade for the 60s. Not wow. Danny McLean. They had Whitey Ford, the left-hander, and Dean Chance, the right-handed pitcher of the decade. Nice, nice. Which is quite an honor, yes. Well, thank, thank you for sharing stories about your dear yes. friend, Well, Bob. thank you for asking about him. Believe me. Let's, uh... Let's jump over to our other favorite talk, topic, uh, you know, Trojan football. Uh, they, they, they played the Utah Utes this week and uh, this past week, and they came out on top. Um, what were your thoughts about the, the, the way the games played and, and the way the team looked? To be very honest with you, I was shocked. I know that somebody said that the, the reporters, I mean, the odds makers favored Utah, but I thought, no way. And, you know, I sat up there, I was sitting with Brian Kennedy, and we were watching the game, and... We couldn't believe it. I mean, if you think that SC's number one running back, Trey Madden, was hurt, they, they're three of their top receivers, Whitney, uh, Jerry, Darius Rogers, and this, this Mitchell kid were out, Stephen Mitchell, were out. Mm -hmm. Their two starting centers were out, uh, Max Turek and, and this Samoan kid. They were knocked out. They had some guys on defense. Uh, Claude Pallon, their defensive end, was out. I mean, they had all these injuries. And they played off the charts. Yeah. And if that doesn't prove what I've said all along and what everybody else has said, that SC has the greatest talent in college football, it just wasn't coached correctly, well, I tip my hat to Helton. He, he did an amazing job of turning them around, and he's, turning, he's changing things over there. He's, not, I mean, he's asking former players to come around. He called up Brian Kennedy today the first time and thanked him for all he's done and invited him to come to practice. Do you think anybody else over there has ever done that? And Brian paid for the field and paid for the reconstruction and the new turf on the field. Nobody called him to thank him. But 
Helton called Brian up and asked him to come out to practice and said he'd love to have him out there. And he's and he's having Robert Woods spoke at the practice yesterday, and he had Willie McGinnis, another guy, speaking at the practice the other day. You know, so I look what he's doing. He's changing the atmosphere around there. You know, and that's what they need. And I I believe, you know, if he if he does good the rest of the season, and get some new assistant coaches in there, I think he'd be you know as good as anybody. You know what I mean? Because he's he's got the right attitude. He's changed the practices around. He's changed the philosophies already. And uh, you know, and I just think if he gets some good coaches, I think underneath him, I think he could really be. Well, here's here's you know, a question I have, and and, and, yeah. and you know, he's he's inviting all the former players back, and he's bringing them he's bringing them back in, uh, you know, into you know being involved with, <coughs> excuse me, the university and the team. I, I read an article today, a, a, a Facebook post by Ricky Ellison, who played. Oh, I read that, and it's right on. It's right on. I read, oh. Unbelievable. Everybody's called me and told me to read that. Well, here's the interesting part about it. It was the athletic director, Anthony's teammate, uh, Pat Hayden, who chased off all the former players, who's put a distance uh, between all the great players, the great tradition that, that came along with that, and the current uh, players, do you think that uh, that Helton is doing this with his blessing, or is he going to get in trouble for no, bucking the I, system? No, he can't get in trouble. You know, you know I, that guy is probably under the. He, I have never heard of any athletic director being under the fire like this guy. I never hear a positive word about him from alumnuses, from big donors, big time donors. Do not like this guy. You know, so the thing, I mean, you heard he's accepting money from all these other jobs. Did you read that? I read that in L.A. Times, yeah. I mean, how can you be an effective athletic director if you're on all these different boards and doing all this other stuff? And, you know, come on, this guy has been a disaster since the day he got there, and he needs to, I, Ricky Ellison, I mean, it's, you know, I had a, a former, and I told you who it was, yeah. uh, but I'm not going to say it, a former All-American Hall of Famer, and a lot of Hall of Fames call me, and he wants to send the thing around and have all these All-American players sign a petition to get him out of there. Yeah. And and we knew a whole host of players, including a lot of his own teammates, that would that wanted him out of there. You know. So in other words, it, it's like uh, this guy is, besides being incompetent, he's arrogant. You know. So it's like, come on, you know, reach out to some people. You know, call up. You know. You know. I mean, there's a guy named Richard Batman Wood in Florida. You think they ever reach out to him and ever ever acknowledge him a three-time All-American? You know? I remember. I remember Richard Wood. <laughs> and you know, he he could have been coaching the defense. You know what I mean? He's yeah. a coach. He coached in the NFL. You know, they but they never ask anybody for their opinions. No former players. No alumni. They, you know, I know what I know what's going on down there. He's alienated some of the alumni. You know, I mean, some of the donors. I mean, that's what he's supposed to do. He's that arrogant that he alienates some of the donors. That it takes the head coach to call up a donor and ask him to come over there. But, you know, this guy is pompous, arrogant, and for what reason, I have no idea. You well, know, but you, you, you had some point there, but one of the interesting, a couple of interesting things in, in this, and if anybody who has a chance to, to, to look this thing up in, in this post written by uh, Ricky Ellison. I hope, I hope your listeners read that. Yeah, there, are some, there are some accusations in here, man, that are just brutal. I mean, parents not allowed to, to watch their kids practice unless they go through some basic yep. strip search and turn over their yep. phones and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, people did, you, did you read about the black thing, about uh, how he's saying that all the students are top students, but an NFL guy told Ricky Ellison that the black athletes, at, the African-Americans at SC, have the lowest uh, 
graduation rate of any college out there. Did you read that? I did read that about, and that's you know, it's just talking about the football players, and then yeah. and then and then they said that, uh, you know, he touts his graduation, gradu, his uh, his ten uh, national championships, but none of those coaches, only one of those coaches was hired under him. Uh, you know, and he talks about you know the fact that uh, this guy doesn't even put academics first, uh, and, and and give these guys who do who have achieved academically. Their props, uh, yep. you, know, and, 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 you know. There's just so many things. I mean, he, he talks about well, that. I, how, how about Peterson knew that that Sarkisian was the coach ahead of time. You know, when they hired him, when, yeah. when they interviewed him, he knew. So, uh, you know, he already knew that Sarkisian was the coach. So yeah. it's like, you know, he probably won't interview any black people. Here's a here's a good quote from uh, Ricky Henderson. He doesn't even know how to talk to him. How would he talk to the interview? (laughs) Exactly. Here's a great quote from Ricky Ellison's uh, post. He says, I met with a member of the Board of Regents at the University of Washington several times prior to the hiring of Sark. He made it very clear that they had issues with his character at the role of their head coach. I provided that direct assessment to the USC Athletic Department several times as a concerned alumnus prior to them offering the job to Sark. It was ignored. He goes, I also met with Coach Peterson in person in his first month as a UW head coach and asked him about the interview he had with Pat Hayden. Uh, and basically he said that, you know, he, he didn't get off of the job. He needed a Jack Del Rio. Jack Del Rio wanted the job, and they, they uh, blew him wasn't off. Even asked. I wasn't yeah, even asked yeah. to come there. So, it's, so it was interesting that the fact that, uh, you know, he even, you know, he, he met with – members of the Board of Regents at the University of Washington who said they had concerns. They were already, you know, they were already getting rid of the guy. They were happy he's leaving. They had concerns about his character and whatnot. He provides that information, and it's overlooked. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, from what I understand, you know, he, he likes his, his cocktails, too. So, you know, that's what everybody's telling me. So, you know, I, that's just what I hear. And then I also heard that, you know, when he fainted on the sideline that, they said he went to a hospital. Well, there's no record in anywhere around there of him checking into the hospital, from what I've been told. So yeah. this is what um, what some reporters have told me. So you know, you know, why wouldn't you want to go back on the team plane where they have ten doctors instead of taking a fr- private jet back home? You understand, you understand what I'm saying? So you know, it's, it's just there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions, a lot of questions. And when you have an alumni uh, who you know is a prominent alumni, right, right up. I mean, this thing is lengthy. I mean, you know, Ricky Ellison took his time. To put this together, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm, just Ricky Ellison. If I told you the name of A-list former players that I talk to every day that are just appalled, yeah, and and uh, you know, just that really want some action done. I mean, these are players, you know, and they've never been contacted. None of them, you know what I mean? They have nothing to do with the university. Well, that's but, uh, that's that's another thing is you know, you know, good friends with Anthony Davis. Uh, I talked to AD, and I asked him, "Hey, you been to the game? Been to this game? You been to that game?" And he says no. I mean, he said he 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 usually sets foot on campus for the Annenberg uh, for the academics aspect of yeah. it. Uh, he, they don't, he doesn't get any any request, as far as I can tell, uh, from uh, from Pat Hayden, his former teammate, uh, oh, to come to help recruit or, or show up on campus or come to a game or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, why this guy has alienated uh, the greats of the the greats of this university, and and you know, I mean, he played with the guy who's five-time national champion. I don't know how many NCAA uh, uh, athletes are five-time national champions, and, and especially in the top tier tier sports, football and baseball. I mean, the guy's a two-time I mean, All-American. Just to take it a step further, if he hadn't 
uh, gone to school with J.K. McKay, you wouldn't even know who this guy is today. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just the luck of the draw. And, you know, if, and if he hadn't handed the ball to A.D., you know, people know, you know, who uh, Steve Soggy is. Why? Because he handled the ball to O.J. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. And, and they know who he is because A.D., as I told you before, he played only there three years. And he's the third leading rusher in the history of the school since 1888. And the two ahead of him, Charles White and Marcus Allen, played four years. So A.D. is number three in three years, and they're number one and two in four years. And that's 1888 to 2015. Wow. And so, you know, let's, I mean, does he get any respect on that place? Not at all. And when, I, when he first got the job, I thought, oh, he'll take care of his old former teammate, you know. And all the other, not just AD, it's how about a whole plethora of them, you know what I mean, and right. former great SC guys. None of them are around there, you know. So if they come there, they come to practice on their own, not because they're invited or, you know, anything else. So, But it is what it is, you know. It's like, it's like you know, it's just, there's nothing I can do to control it. I still root for SC. And, uh, well, you know, that's, but, that's, the, that's the thing there, Bob. It's, see, they realize that, you know, as longtime fans, you know, we're loyal to the school. You know, we're going to support him. We're going to we're going to root for him, whatnot. But the way he's treating, I mean, what, look what he did to Lindell White. Look at you, you, there's oh, a yeah. whole there's a whole list of names. The, you, can go you know, down. it's funny. Ricky Ellison didn't get all the in, get didn't even mention the things we've talked about about jumping in the coach's line, fighting with officials in the Stanford game. You know, you know, why is he on the sideline at the Notre Dame game? You know, why? I mean, I never saw athletic coaches on the sidelines. You know, I mean, he's always, you know, you know, the whole thing going back to Indianapolis, you know, not going there because. It's making a stand for gay marriages, you know, when SC's paying you two and a half million a year. You understand what I'm saying? It's the highest paid words, athletic it, director in the country. Yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's just the whole thing just stinks. And yeah. um, I, 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 I think they need to clean that whole place out from the, you know, on the inside. And, you know, I, I've had four or five people tell me they think Lopes will be a great athletic director because, you know, he's, he's, he's Steve Lopes. He's an assistant there and he's been around there and he knows people and he's got very good rapport with people, you know. In other words, you know, a lot of people like him, and that's so important as an athletic director. You know what I mean? And did you read where he said the reason Nikias loves this guy because Nikias used to have to answer well, to this That's guy. another I mean, thing. There, yeah. he, he was on the board of trustees that yeah. pretty much the president had to uh, answer to. Now yep. he's the athletic director answering to the board of trustees, his buddies, and yep. the guy who used to have to answer to him. I mean, it, it's it's so incestuous. And, and, and there, there's no there's no ramifications for any of the things that he's done, and uh, it's just it's it's a messed up situation, and it needs to be changed. And I think I think uh, you're starting to hear the rumblings, and like you said, the donors are making noise. You got past players making noise. You got Ricky Ellison writing big things about it. I've seen I've seen uh, opinion pieces in the LA Times. Uh, uh, Scott Wolf posts things here and there, uh, you know, on the Inside people USC. Are, you know, it's and like, people are fed it's, up. They're fed up. They're totally fed up. I mean, hey, people used to people. When you're in that in that kind of a job, there's going to be pros and cons, and people are like. But this guy has been one calamity of error. You can overlook one error, two errors, three errors, but not 25. You know what I mean? In other words, this guy. I mean, look at the basketball program. Look at the baseball program. Look at the look at the football program. Look look what's happened. You know, look what's happened. You know, yeah. so it's like. I hope that Helton can stay there because I'd hate to have him hire another coach. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Uh, in other words, him in charge of hiring another coach? Are you kidding me? You know, uh, you know. I mean, uh, you know, if, if if he was out of there, I think Coach O might even come back to this school. You know what I mean? And some of these other guys that he got rid of, Kennedy Palamulu, who's at UCLA, who's a lifetime Trojan, yeah. who, who got you know got the axe in there with that 
you know, Kiffin guy, yeah. you know, and it was, you know, with Hayden's blessing, you know, so it's like, you know, I know what goes on there, and I know the inner workings in that place, and, you know, this guy's got to live in himself at the end of the night, you know what I mean, he's got to live in himself, and, I, you know, I told somebody the other day, I said, you could hold his funeral in a phone booth, you know? <laughs> With but, room to spare. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just amazing. Amazing what I've seen going on around it. Well, I, it, it is. And, and it's it's sad because, I mean, this is a storied university with a storied football uh, program and as well as, you know, just the, the, the school. I mean, you get, you know, film yeah. school and Annenberg school. I mean, there's so many great things about that campus. But, uh you know, the, 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 every other day I'm picking up the paper or hearing a news report about some weird thing happening with the, with the athletic director or the, or the yep. football program. Just... When the athletic director uh, makes the headlines more than the players, something's wrong. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. In other words, when you're hearing more about the athletic director than you are the quarterback or the running backs or the – and, you know, I like to talk about them. I mean, I, I, I thought that uh, Juju Smith was unbelievable in that game against Utah. You know, I thought – you know that that Rogers number fifty two on defense was terrific. I mean, I, I think that Greg Townsend guy is really improving. Number ninety three. I mean, he really looked good. You know, he made some good plays. He's getting better. You know, so I see all these That's guys. Some good stock, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Dory Jackson's going to be. You know, I mean, they're they're. I, I see him and I, that Ronald Jones guy. Once they teach him the pass block, I asked. I, I found out. I, I was really interesting. I said. I asked some people down there. I said, Why doesn't he get twenty five carries a game? They said because he didn't know how to pass block. Because in high school, you know, he's 185 pounds, and he's now he's seeing guys 240, 250. So they're teaching him how to, you know, how to how to block. And once he does that, he'll be lights out. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, this yeah. guy, he's got as much ability as anybody I've seen out there. And they've got so many true freshmen playing. I mean, that, how about that Cameron Smith guy with three interceptions? I'm telling you, the, the talent is there. The talent oh, it's unbelievable. And, that, you know. uh, that Iman Marshall guy, number eight, I mean, he's a true freshman. He's played every game this year. This little kid, Marvell Tell, that broke his collarbone off the charts, you know, and Kevon Seymour had a good game. I mean, they're the, the really, really so much talent, you know, and I, I just think they needed to be the right frame of mind. And right. I think Helton had them in the right frame of mind, and you see him come in and totally smoke the third-rated team in the country after losing to Washington and Notre Dame and Stanford, and you know what I mean? Yeah. And so what does that tell you? It tells you what we knew all along. we got great talent. They just needed to be have a, have a, a head director, you know, that's directing them in the but right doesn't way. This, doesn't this feel like, I mean, to me, it almost feels like, is, is what's the name would say, deja vu all over again. I mean, it reminds me when Cliff, Kiffin left and Coach O took over, man, and then yeah. all of a sudden the spark is back. Yep. Uh, the team comes to life. They they go they go on and win a bunch of games. Uh, you know what what is what is what is it the the, the that causes this? You know these guys they let they like, they let these guys run the team down, and uh, then they bring well, in. He never guy. asked for you know these. Here's the here's the shocking thing to me, Keith. He never asked anybody for their advice. Yeah. No donors. I mean, this is SC's a private institution. I mean, these guys have put up millions to pay for the McKay Center and the fields and, and buildings and stuff. You know, how about at least getting their advice? How about going to former players? How about going to former coaches and people that are on the and ask their advice? Yeah. You know, but none of them none of them were consulted about Sarkisian. Nobody was consulted. You know, he had his mind made up, and 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 I know one of the some big donors that told him. We want him to keep Coach O, and he said, "I'm going to do what's best for the university." Well, he did what's best for the <laughs> university. You see the results. Yeah. So. 
We lost uh, uh, Toa Lobodon, man. That, guy, that guy's a beast, and he's, he's done for the year with a, with a Yeah, he's ACL. terrific. Yeah. And, and Keith, this is another thing that I really liked. This coach, Helton, after the game, he said the MVPs of the game were Cameron Smith, the linebacker, and he said the third-string center that took Troy, an offensive lineman. Now, you've got to like a coach that credited this third-string kid that took over for Lobendome at center and did a great job. You understand what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. He, he did a wonderful job, but I love that the coach gave him credit. You understand what I'm saying? Right. And, and, uh, and, and really, he didn't say some wide receiver or some quarterback. He gave the, the – and that was a crucial thing because right. you, you know how important the center is. Oh, absolutely. The, the whole thing. So um, I thought that was a, a great uh, thing he did. I mean, I, I'm, I kind of like this guy. You know, I mean, I, I'm hearing good things about him. I'm seeing things changing around there that, you know, not coming from above him. He's doing it himself. You follow me? Well, some people are just good leaders. I mean, you know, yeah. we, we talk, you know, you, if you're you know, a student of history and you, you start, you know, reading about some of these past generals and some of these generals, people respect it and they would follow them anywhere, you know. Uh, Absolutely. And, and some, and that's, you know, you look at, I look at coaches like that, you know, there's, you know, you got guys that are that are good leaders and, and kids are ready to follow them wherever they take them. And then you got the other guys. And they also have yeah. to be good leaders for the assistant coaches. Does Absolutely. that make sense? Absolutely. In other words, a head coach should be a good leader, not just for the players, but for the guys coaching underneath them. And if they respect him, they're going to coach better. In other words, and if anybody should know that, the athletic director should know that because John McKay was the head coach. And all the assistant coaches, which is Dave Levy, Marv Goo, Craig Fertig, these guys were loved by the players. They, most of the players didn't even know McKay. You follow me? Right. They just knew the assistants. And and McKay hardly ever had contact with players. You know, it was the assistants. They were their coaches. So and and they had great assistants, which make the coach look good. You know what I mean? In other words, if Helton gets can surround himself with some really good hires. Who knows what could happen? You well, I actually mean? read a I read a story once uh, about about uh, some some leader. Uh, God, I wish I could remember the name off the top of my head. But bottom line, what he said was, is you know, to be a great leader, I have to surround myself with with great people, and I don't have to know everything. I just have to be able to manage the great people that are around me, and and that's what you know. When a great head coach can do that. If he's got a great defensive coordinator, or a great offensive coordinator, and a great Line coach, great receiver coach, and, and they're specialists, in the, and they're the best in their in their position. And an athletic director should be the same way. I mean, absolutely, you, know, you can't be so arrogant to think you you know you're the the top dog. I mean, you got to surround yeah. yourself with great people. You're one hundred percent correct. Whether it's the president of the United States, whether it's you know, you know, you you you, you delegate, you delegate. Whether it's what whatever the job is, you delegate. And right. you, you know, I usually find out if somebody. On the top is a nice guy. The people underneath them are good people. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you see somebody on the top that's a jerk, you usually have jerks working underneath them. That's that's been my. That you know. is so true. <laughs> but uh, but I mean this Helton guy, I'm I've been impressed. But it's just one game. But I mean that's you gotta you gotta give the guy credit. That was an amazing game. That it, they was. Played, you know? it was. It was. Especially with all the guys they had hurt. You know, so. Well, it's 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 good to see, and we'll hope to hopefully they've turned to turn the page. Uh, I'm gonna still, uh, you know, I. I what do I do? They, I don't. They don't pay me. I, I'm still going to say what I got to say about the AD over there. I think Hayden needs to go. I think. The, the well, I think Ricky Ellison pretty well said everything, don't you? Uh, think? Yeah, it's a it's a great article. Anybody who uh, anybody who's uh, you know what, even if you aren't a fan of SC, it's worth the read to, to understand yeah. what's been going on over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, some people say it's a 
you know, there's some personal issues there, but you know what? You can't. You, there might be, but you can't. The facts are the facts. <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, and and like I said earlier, he didn't cover most of them. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, these are. Just, I mean, those things he had were facts. You know, he talked to these people. You know what I mean? And I I have some friends up in Washington. Bob Slorett, you know, the who was a two-time Rose Bowl MVP in 1661. He, he called me the other day. I mean, they were thrilled to get him out of there. Don't you understand that? Yeah. They were they were thrilled. Yeah. So. And you saw the results when Washington played SC in the Coliseum, didn't you? <laughs> hey, one quick question. Uh, going back yes, to your, your angel days, Bob, uh, a friend of mine uh, mentioned somebody today, and I said, well, if he was with the Angels back in the day, my, my buddy Bob might know who he is. Uh, does the name Matt Moschetti ring a bell? Not with the Los Angeles Angels. Okay. He, he might have been there later in Anaheim. Because right. I knew every single, um, you know, they, they were the Los Angeles Angels, uh, 61, but I, w- I was with them in 62, 3, 4, and 5. All right. And then, then they were the California Angels in 66. Now, he might have been a cup of coffee player that came up later, but he was not with the Los Angeles Angels. Good enough. You know, that's the sad thing. Though. You know, it's, it's, they're thinning out, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's like uh, we were, I was talking to a couple of the guys the other day, you know, we were talking, we were going through the starting lineup. You know, Jim Fergosi's gone, mm. you know. Earl Averill and Del Rice, the catchers are gone. Steve Bilko and Ted Glazuski are gone. You know, yeah. it's just it's, it's really you know, shocking. Ken Hunt and Leon Wagner are gone. Ryan Dern and Bo Belinsky and Dean Chance are gone. And, you know, it's just um, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. But, you know, you just take it a day at a time. And, uh, you know, you know what Bruce said today, my friend Bruce? He said, Bob, we should just be so grateful that we knew and we're best friends with Dean, you know, and that's really the way. I'm just honored to say that he was one of my dear, dear A-list friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's and that's how you have to look at life because everything is temporary in life. You know, you just you just and I and I just thank God for those days down in Anaheim. I just I'm so grateful I was able to be there. You know? Yeah. I know you. I know uh, you know as, as a business, you, you the uh, the IBA. Uh, you guys, I mean, what happens now? Well, I talked to Brett, Dean's son, last week, and, you know, Dean had, like, hundreds and hundreds of acres, and, you know, Dean was a multi-multi-millionaire. He was very successful. And Brett's going to take all that stuff over, and I think they're going to sell the IBA because Brett, you know, he's got enough on his plate without. And, um, you know, they're going to, they, Dean bought it from Blackie Gennaro back in 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Uh, I think they're going to sell it, and and that's good. And you know, and people ask me if I'm going to stay on, and I was mainly there because of my friendship with Dean. You right, me? right. That's why I, I I'll probably throw in a towel. I got a lot of other things I'm involved in, and uh, oh, just talking to you keeps me busy. Keeps me busy. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> and, uh, and I enjoy it, you know. But you got to come out so we can go down to Malibu and have lunch again. Yeah. Absolutely, brother. I look forward to it, and, and we'll stay in touch. Now, how's Sweet Tooth doing? Sweet Tooth is doing good, man. <laughs> is he really? Okay, good. I can't wait to see his movie. What's it? When's it breaking? December? Yeah, Christmas Day, man. Christmas it breaks Day. Christmas Day. That'll yes, be great. Does. So uh, yeah, maybe we ought to get together and go check it out. Absolutely. Uh, Bob, I want to thank you, as always, for, for joining us here on Swoops Road. It's always great to have a chance to talk to you and, and find out what's happening the uh, just in your world, man, because it's uh, you're always always interesting, and, and your knowledge is just uh, it's, it's great. It's good. We we love it, and I always have a good time chatting with you, brother. Well, Keith, I I enjoy the hell out of talking to you, and you're a 
not only a great radio announcer, but a, a good person, and I'm honored to call you my friend. So thank you. Same here, man. Thanks a lot, okay. Bob. We'll talk God soon. God bless. God bless. Bob Case, everybody. And uh, like I was telling you just before Bob came on, uh, if you're in the Southern California area and you want to hear Dr. Bill Sears talk about brain health for all ages, uh, send me an email at swoopsroll at gmail.com or go to our contact page on uh, uh, swoopsroll.com and just uh, send an email through the contact page. Let me know you're interested. I'll uh, invite you as my guest, and he'll be talking about cutting-edge science, nutrition, and hope for brain health, uh, ADD, ADHD, autism, PTSD, depression, anxiety, preventing Alzheimer's, and degenerative brain disease. And that's uh, Thursday, November 3rd, 2015. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. We want to thank Anthony Davis, the great one over from USC, for, for joining us. And... Uh, you know, encourage those who, who, who can make a difference. Uh, get him in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame as well as get his jersey retired over at USC. want to thank Bob Case for joining us as always. A wonderful chance to talk to him and his knowledge of what's happening over at SC. Until we meet again, dream as if you'll live forever. Live as if you'll die today. Good night all. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. 